we actually connected our next guest, but uh, a lot of people will know him if they watch the UK Column News. Uh, he, I would call him the defense correspondent, as it were, uh, for the UK Column News, but also he runs an organization called Strategic Defense Initiatives, and his name is David Ellis, and uh, he's been very busy recently. He's been very busy because a story has come to the surface. It's a story that uh, David and others have been talking about for a few years now. There's links on the show page to relevant resources and articles regarding EU military uh, unification or European Defense Union. Colloquially, some people might have heard this term, uh, the EU Army. That's kind of, a, I would say, a slang a slang version of uh, what this is really about. It's about joining up all the European Union member states into a common defense union, not unlike what you have in the United States with its 50 states, and that's no exaggeration. And that also includes the UK. So without further ado, I wanted to welcome David Ellis uh, to this week's Sunday Wire. Hello, David. Hi, Patrick. Um, yeah, great to be on, and thanks for asking us to come on to talk about defense union. You know, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you've come on, David. And of course, this is extremely topical uh, this week. Uh, a lot of stuff has come in. I've got a few clips I'm going to play uh, in a minute. But uh, before before we get to those, and we are going to talk about this issue as it relates to Brexit, because it's very important in the Brexit conversation. But it's also important in the larger geostrategic global conversation, and we'll talk about that as well later. But firstly, Dave, uh, just tell us how how you became interested in this particular issue. Uh, how did how did you get into this this issue? Because uh, I, I do believe that uh, you've, you've devoted a, a lot of your time to kind of raising awareness on this uh, in recent years. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, okay, thanks, Pat. Um, in terms of the time scale, yeah, pre- way before Brexit and the Brexit campaign period, and I came into this subject on an engineering and manufacturing basis from uh, sort of small, medium-sized family businesses that were involved with engineering and overlapped into defense engineering in the Midlands and here in the United Kingdom. Really what that meant from from their perspective as terms of sort of so-called defense cuts back in 2010 and what was really going on. So from a a kind of get-go perspective from Admiral Sandy Woodward saying we could no longer defend the channel. I saw engineering and manufacturing in Coventry and the Midlands here in Britain annihilated from so-called defense cuts. So that was my starting perspective from so-called defense cuts. It's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with something called military and industrial unification on the defense, uh, the whole of the defense scene. So that was my start. And really what we're dealing with is something called Defence Union and it's single point command and control of all of the defence services in the EU zone. That's everything. It includes nuclear down through to everything and the security services, so all the spooks and the police, everything. And Ursula von der Leyen has just articulated that entire schedule at a press conference re- recently. And really where we are at the sort of threshold of this is the sort of the, the outbreak point now We've got Lord James sort of kicking the table up in the House of Lords on this issue. So that's sort of in short my uh, my background. I spent, you know, uh, four or five years lobbying in Parliament and the House of Lords on the basis of defence cuts and what that meant for industry and jobs and manufacturing in Britain and really what that actually is in terms of defence union, because that's what's at the end of all of this policy. 
And so how, how is that different from the status quo? And I know this is a basic question, but it's important to break this down to people. So how, how would defense union be different from how things are managed or controlled or decisions are made today? It's a great question, Pat. And this is really the number of it. So you've got uh, the currently the status quo is uh, on a national basis. So you think you've got a bit of a connection with your MP and a democratic or in the water. And that goes through to your democratic interface, whether that be in uh, Canada or Australia or New Zealand, uh, United States or Britain. As to what that means for defense and defense industry. So the military itself, all the services, Navy, Air Force, Army, etc., Marines, special forces, whatever and your nuclear, uh, any nuclear aspects that you may or may not have as a nation, and how that works really on a NATO collective, an option to, to join in collectively as NATO. Uh, Defence Union just doesn't operate on that basis. Defence Union, the concept is a single point command and control concept from Brussels. So understanding the system there at Brussels in the, in the uh, European Economic Community, EU, but they don't really work on that principle. It's all unelected. There's no uh, democratic interface of these people whatsoever. And they want single point command and control of all of the defence services and security services in the EU zone. And that was something that we strategically forecast many years ago, despite the fact even during the Brexit period where we were supposed to take back control of this sort of stuff. But defence was never included in that gambit, which poses the biggest paradoxical problem to all of the political people involved with that now because they refuse to air this issue then and they're still refusing uh, in terms of MPs and MEPs to uh, air this issue with the general public, great British taxpaying public now. And that's the paradox in all of this period. So I'm going to play, I'm going to play a clip because what you talked about is this could be an issue, but it's not because it's been submerged. Uh, it's been submerged uh, in, in the political uh, houses of power in London, but it's also been submerged in the media. Uh, and whether that's via yeah. D-notice D- or, or yeah. whatever. So it's, people were calling this. Submer- yeah, submerged go ahead. Is, is a really, submerged, Pat, is a really good word because it's not been, it's just not been articulated. I mean, you can put whatever whatever classification you want it, but it's just not been talked about. People are refusing to talk about this, and it's the elephant in the room. Okay, I'm going to play a clip by uh, someone from the House of Lords, Lord Blackheath, uh, and this has sort of gone viral this past week. Uh, He's one of the first first people to actually stand up and ask some poignant questions uh, about this subject that we're talking about here. I'm going to play this just for a moment, so listen closely, everybody. Uh, This is Lord Blackheath uh, in the House of Lords. Uh, this past week. Will somebody please tell us the truth about the European Defence Union? <coughs> this is by far the biggest issue facing the British public and they know nothing about it officially. Can we please have a proper account of what it entails? Is it really true that the government has entered into private agreements with the European community, that they will, on completion of Remain, or whatever it is to be, transfer to the European Union in Brussels the entire control of our entire fighting forces, including all their equipment. You may, you may jest, my lords, but it has been done and you must check it out. It is too important to ignore. We must know the truth of this. We must have it clear for the whole public to know. Uh, I, I believe it is true, and I think we should be told. I have understanding that it is intended that 
the oath of every serving member of our forces will be cancelled and they will be required to, set, to undertake a new oath of loyalty to Brussels. And that we have had in recent months, I understand, a series of, a series of people sent from our armed forces to create and install the command and control centres to be used for the control of our troops once we have been ceased to have any control over their use, application or deployment. It goes beyond this. They are to take control of our intelligence services, the whole core of the Five Eyes, they will have MI6 and they will have the Cheltenham Monitoring Centre. And we will be excluded from it under the new arrangements completely. Okay, David, he, the jeers from the crowd, the jeers from the crowd and the mumbles and they're treating this, this uh, Lord Blackheath uh, like he was some sort of heretic uh, based on what he was saying. How much of what he was saying is true uh, in your opinion and what is the level of knowledge of this uh, currently in, in government? What percentage of people actually know about this? Well, that's, that's a great question because from my point of view, I took effectively sort of a, a statement from several very senior British officers prior to Brexit, where we were trying to put this on the Brexit agenda that leaving must entail taking back control of defence, otherwise it was not nonsensical. And I spoke to several senior officers who were engaged in creating the European command and control structure, the C3 structure, uh, across on a pan-European basis from uh, headquarters that were in uh, Northwood, which is the Royal Navy nuclear headquarters in Britain and in Paris and in Potsdam in Germany and in Greece, where they could effect pan-European uh, military command and control within six to 12 hours of throwing one single switch on a effectively a NATO spec system. So I spoke to these officers direct one-to-one -one, and I'm perfectly happy to rely on, upon what they told me that there are no technical to get technical difficulties in doing this. So Blackheath is right on the money with this because it, it really creates the Brexit paradox, you know, leaving, but actually we're going into defence union. That's the key of this. So it's borne out by the reaction from Lord Blunkett, which told him to basically, you know, let's basically want him to shut up. And then he was subsequently challenged and threatened by uh, George Robertson, a former Labour minister with a communist background in the lobbies where he basically said, you know, I want your sources, where are you getting this from? And he specifically requested he wanted his sources. So this, this basically alluded to what officers are you talking to? So the officers that Lord Blackheath were talking to were uh, Jonathan Riley, uh, a former NATO commander, and Admiral Roger Lane Knott, who is a former Polaris and took Trident out for its passing off flag officer nuclear submarines. So these are, you know, these are serious guys. You need to take notice of what they're saying. So they're on the record currently of saying that, you know, all this is real, present, uh, it's a serious danger and it's happening. And Blackheath is the first member of the Lords and, you know, effectively Parliament, not that anybody's done it in the Commons, to actually get on their feet and actually say, tell us the truth. And this is, this is, the, real, this is the real Brexit paradox being aired here. And everybody needs to take note, share the information, because he's right on it. And my my understanding of this is that, you know, the EU, regardless of all the other stuff, you know, the deal, the deal, the whole deal and nothing but the deal is defence union. They must have defence union 
in order to affect their treasury so they can tax and they can take control of all of this stuff, which will include a nuclear deterrent. Now, when you look at the sums of money involved in this arrangement, they are immense. And that, of course, is really their primary objective is to take command and control of the capital and operational budget. And this bears back to a uh, source reference that we've got from Avril Harriman from during the war and post-war where he subsequently made the slip of, of hemorrhaging this information where he said that the unification of Europe involved currency union and military union, although it's now called defence union, but it's the same thing. And then they would finally have political unions. So it's a primary factor. And obviously we know where this affects everyone in uh, the United States, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand and Britain. Of course, we've got a huge amount of investment in this issue here in Europe of, of wanting to uh, unify the continent. So that's a, 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 an objective of unifying not just the European nations, but Russia as well, and how that would actually work in terms of the change agenda through war in order to, to, to deliver that. You know, and, and, and of course, this now we're reaching the Rubicon of their objective of actually achieving an operational defense union, where it being, you know, talked about by Ursula von der Leyen to actually the bureaucratic foundations that have been laid in defense union with the eight key pillars that they've got to actually doing it. And uh, just from an economic point of view, just to get, give us a give us a picture of the scale. Right now, you look at the United States' military budget. Obviously, it's massive. It's upwards of from anyone's guess from uh, seven hundred fifty billion to one point one point two trillion, depending on what you count within that budget. But so, what would the the European collective defense budget be that that expenditure well that that's the money shot isn't it you know the, the you know they don't really give a damn about the personnel and the, the equipment you know let's just say that that's just you know that's academic whether that be you know whoever's nation that is and it's vital that they get britain into this it won't work without britain and there's an institute of strategic studies report that says that so, you know, this is this is all out there already. So you know, what are the common quantities of money concerned? So this comes back to Blackheath would tell us the truth. Uh, question. So what are we talking about? Von der Leyen has already talked about, you know, a genuine uh, defence union. It could only be a genuine defence union. Let's just translate the cloaked language there. Genuine means nuclear deterrent. It won't be an effective defence arrangement or force or union or whatever without a nuclear deterrent. And the only way it can do that factually within the time frame that they have already articulated themselves is with French and British or one of the others, you know, either or nuclear deterrent being included. So when you add those quantities of money involved, you are getting into, you know, a baseline figure of around 360 uh, billion euros plus the nuclear deterrence of either or so you could very quickly be into very quickly be into um you know eight or nine hundred billion euros fast and probably in excess of that if you encamp the if you in, if you include the future the future successor in british nuclear deterrent so and the key thing here really in terms of the magnitude of of percentage spend on this because obviously there's a tax yield thereof subsequent to the defense union is that the two percent that they're talking about in terms of nato being the midwife for this is that it will very quickly accelerate it will not stop at two percent it will accelerate two three four five six 
maybe even as high as 7% as the EU GDP. Do the math, it's a lot of money. So, you know, APB, everyone out there on your network, this is a lot of money. This is a lot of, you know, the tax yield is, is immense. There's huge sums of money. They want single point capital procurement budgetary policy control. They want singly, single point unified EU defense industry, i.e. they want one company for the whole of the production of EU defense. So they're not going to be dealing with Lockheed, Rayton, Boeing, any of your, or any, any other company. They want one single European company to deliver all of the defense equipment. And they want, they want absolute total control of all of that from a closed-loop perspective. So the money, you know, going in one end and coming out the other end, and they have absolute, absolute control of all of it. So, so, so that, we, could be, we could be going back to a Cold War threshold of sort of 7% of GDP in terms of volumes of money involved for the EU, which, you know, is immense. Right. And, and just to let people know, that would immediately put Europe, uh, European defense, it, it would be number two globally behind the United States. So it would go USA, yeah. Yeah, USA yeah, yeah. one, it, Europe it, it, two, China, China three. Uh, Etc. Russia for yeah. and so forth and so on. Um, yeah. So, so David, a lot of people are going to say, "Well, why why do they need European Defense Union? They've got NATO, uh, or th- that uh, NATO's not going away. There's been a, no announcements that NATO is going to be folded or or you know wound down or anything like that. So, how could this possibly be when we've got this great thing called NATO already? That's that. Uh, that's- well- the naysayers. I mean, that, 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 that's the stumbling block that a lot of British politicians come back to. And we see this time and time again with their template letters that they issue to constituents when they challenge Defence Union. If they come back to this perspective that NATO is the cornerstone of uh, the government's defence policy here in Britain. And of course, really what you've got to do is then stand back and look at the, the terrific diagram that the EU have produced with their schematic of what Defence Union looks like. And that on the right right-hand key pillar of defense union is NATO. And they are already taking, in terms of a transfer of undertaking of contractual obligations, NATO will be part of defense union. So you can't differentiate between the two, and it's impossible to rely on, on NATO. So I think we've got to come back to sort of two real lovely little nuggets that we've got on this that before Mr. Trump declared his position as a candidate to be president, so before he went into the presidential campaign, he was talking about NATO being dead. So okay, let's let's take that let's take that on board. And then we've got the lovely quote here from Rusi, the uh, Royal United Services Institute, which is funded by the EU, where they had a a, a meeting discussing the post-Brexit defence defense framework, which is the new defence framework for, for the European Union, where several nuclear advisors are talking about house training Mr. Trump. This is a key data point for everyone. I mean, to house, house train Mr. Trump, a regime there in the, in the White House, and that that was in context of the Franco-British Council and the arrangements to do with the British nuclear deterrent. Um and how that would work for post, how it could and should be extended into the EU. So that's that's something everybody needs to take on board, that the British nuclear deterrent was already envisaged of being uh, 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 pushed into the EU from that perspective. 
and you've got the key go-to organization here in Britain, RUSI, actually saying that that could and should and probably, probably should have happened. So this is a key, you know, a, a, a key data point for everyone in second boy. There's a huge amount of money involved with this thing. You know, the, the, the successes of Trident is 180 billion pounds, give or take, according to George Robertson of the defense spokesman for the SNP. So, you know, this is a lot of money and a, and a lot of political leaders. I'm just going to remind people that uh, you know people are saying, well, how is this the case? You saw you saw the uh, the the retorts uh, in the House of Lords. Who, who where is this information coming from? Well, um, I just have to point everybody to the European Union itself. Besides talking about the uh, PESCO spending framework that's already been adopted over the last two years, that's already on board. They're, they've already got that into place. Frederica Margarini, uh, she is the representative to the European Union for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy and, and also holds the dual title of Vice President of the European Commission. So very powerful and influential person there. And here she is, but this was uh, posted on the European External Action Services Twitter account. Listen to this, everybody. This is Frederica Margarini. Uh, herself. Exactly 10 days ago, I received a letter notifying that 23 member states are ready to embark on a permanent structure cooperation on defense. And let me add that others might join in the coming days. We are building the European Union of Security and Defense. It's not a plan anymore. It's not a dream anymore. It's reality coming true. The dream of our funding fathers and mothers is finally coming true, more than 60 years later. All the building blocks of our security and defense union are finally there today. So we can now project and develop our defense capabilities together. We can buy together to ensure that we have all the capabilities we need while spending efficiently. And we can act together much better than before to manage or prevent crisis to strengthen our partners, to make our citizens more secure. We are building the Europe of defense on a continental scale in an incredibly inclusive way. And let me say that this was not imaginable not only 60 years ago, but just six months ago. As Nelson Mandela used to say, it's always impossible until it's done. We did it. And this is because today security challenges are too big for any of our member states alone. And we know it. Everyone understands this today. Our citizens are asking for more security and more efficient budgets. And they realize that these two things together are only possible if we join forces using the full potential of our European Union. Wow. Okay. I don't know where to start. I know you're chomping at the bit after listening to that. Dave. <laughs> But let me just let me just you can hear me, you can hear me seething, can't you? Uh, well, let me just that's Frederica Margarini herself. Uh, she's uh, vice vice president of the European Commission. She just laid it out to you. She said, my two questions are, David, here twofold. One is the dreams of our founding fathers 60 years ago was defense union, which is exactly what you said only 15 minutes ago in this segment. OK, when you talked about Avril Harriman. So is he one of the founding fathers of this uh, arrangement and, and yeah. many others, many others. But this also seemed to me was a, a big objective that uh, Vision Germany had before yeah. the Second World War and during the Second World War was a, a, a united Europe with Germany 
at the forefront uh, in this sort of uh, driving seat, as it were. But then she says that we can act together. And then my question is, David, act how? Uh, what do we need to act? How will Europe act? Uh, you're talking about new wars. Yeah, well, let's go down. Let's go down to the brass taxes. We've, we've got the British government playing okey-cokey with this. You know, the sort of left leg in, left leg out, in out, okey-cokey. You know, sort of syndrome. You know, they've got Tony Blair claiming ownership there at the Munich Defence Conference that he initiated the British end of defence union when he was in power. All, all in absolute silence, I may add. But you've got this, you know, she's talking about the dreams of our founding fathers. So the first EEC meeting was in, as far as I'm aware, uh, and I'll stand to be corrected, 1942, Walter Funk, so that's Hitler's, uh, Hitler's banker of the, of the Reichsbank with the European Economic Community. So you can see the original investors of this um, arrangement and what they want to do. So they've already declared on their map where the where the interest zones are, and they are Africa and Ukraine. So one can only, from a, a tactical and a strategic perspective, you know, hypothesise that they're talking about really a kind of shape up and dance exercise in Africa and the Ukraine, in order to then go into Russia. So the you know the ultimate objective here is to unify the entire continent. And that's always been the objective: unify the entire continent. Let's use the correct the, the correct terms of reference here. You know, this is a unitary authority. It seeks to have you know, absolute single point command and control of all of it across the continent, from uh, you know a union perspective, whether it be the Soviet Union or the European Union. Unitary authority, and they want to unify the entire arrangement. And, and military unification is a key aspect of that. So she's. You know, she's really given the the coded language away here. So thanks, thanks for that, Frederica. And we've all got to wake up and smell the coffee because where that affects America and Canada is that you know, you know, you guys, guys and girls over there, have had uh, two goes at this before. And you know, do you really want to go around again? You know, this is the let's go around again moment. Mm. And somebody needs to put a stop to it. Somebody needs to sort of do the do the do the whole kind of. Um, you know, with the, with the with the mortgage scandal there, with uh, you know, where somebody cries bullshit. You know, forgive my language, but somebody needs to cry. Somebody needs to make that make that now. You know, on a, on the kind of political stage, your your senators and uh, all your congressmen and all the rest of it need to be standing up, and going. Then they then they be never going. Whoa, 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 whoa! Stop. You know, we are not doing this again. And that's the bottom line. Is because this is you know this is this, this is only going one direction. You know, you've got Macron talking about empire, and empires only do one thing. And you've got the German, new German defence minister talking about conscription. Uh, and Pat, I've got to thank you for that little uh, little line that you give me about. You know, do you remember the draft when we went to the uh, you know conference recently? Yeah. Alternative, uh, you know, the AV conference. Um, you know, do you remember the draft? You know, you know, everybody's going to get called into this. This is this is a body bag situation. You know, we need to really, really, everybody needs to firmly go, no, whoa, stop. We're just not going to do this again. And so when you say everyone... Yeah. This is not just a question of money. This is your kids. When you say everyone's going to get pulled into it, you, you, have to, you have to understand, I think people are, are unaware that the European military union means that countries can't necessarily... Uh, opt out of of foreign policy decisions. In other words, if Brussels decided you're going into the Suhel region in Africa, uh, yeah. you're going yeah. in. Everyone's going in. All the member states uh, yeah. are going in. Yeah. Inter interoperability uh, with with the forces. They're designed as such. 
so that in, they have to move is one. Interoperability is one of these terrific code words. Basically, what that means is military union, military unification. They don't want to talk. They don't want to use the union, you know, unify unification language because people will start to see what exactly what this thing is. And that is exactly the case. You know, you talk about interoperability and we've got to share and co-op and deep and special relationships, all this cloak, cloak language that David Cameron and Theresa May have used in their uh, terms of office. You know, it's all a crock. You know, that's not really what it is at all. You're talking about, you know, some perverse agenda. And, it, it you know, you, you're talking about defence union and we've got an unelected, absolutely tyrannical di dictatorship which is seeking to be fully armed it's not building anything it's unifying the existing national militaries that it you know that it absorbs in this process you're not building anything it's just unifying it i mean you know if we if we start to use the correct wording with this and uh, i've got to go back to general peter zwack you know really great guy that you you guys had there in the u.s as the as the defense attache to moscow there some time ago use the right words words count and, and I think, you know, all credit, to, all, all, all credit to, you know, some of the people that see this, see this thing as it is, uh, Peter Zwack being one of them. But this is exactly what we're dealing with. You know, this is, this is wrong. It's got to stop. And, uh, and so there's a lot of people have pointed out as well, David, that uh, this is also Europe wanting to compete with the United States. Uh, because if you look at Africa and you look at the sort of the colonial the colonial holdings of the former European powers, of course, you put Britain at the top there, but also France and probably second place, then Belgium, uh, then Germany was uh, sort of a lesser colonial power, Portugal, Spain, a little bit bigger. Italy also had a go in Africa with regards to Libya, Ethiopia, for instance. And so now this is uh, up for grabs, Africa, in terms of resources, uh, in terms of uh, the competition with Chinese uh, influence uh, on the continent. And of course, the United States kind of has an international monopoly on sort of throwing its weight around geopolitically and economically. And is this a case of the uh, Europe wanting to assert itself in its own hemisphere, if if you catch my drift? And, and it would people in the U.S. would naturally possibly oppose this as well. Uh, and I'm not going to get into what's right and wrong. I'm just talking about how forces collide and how power is allocated globally. What, what, what do you think about, about that competition aspect? Well, let, let, let's, look, let's look at the facts. All right? Ursula von der Leyen has already said on the record, on Bloomberg, you know, on, on video, that she wants to go into Africa. It's nothing to do with NATO. We want Defence Union to do that. And we're going to go into the Ukraine, which is the EU neighbourhood. So let's look at it from this way. You know, this is the Jane Fonda shape up and dance military workout. We're going we're gonna to go into these regions. We're going to shape up and uh, forge our, our military in those areas in, in, in a workout. And then we're going to attack Russia. You know, is that the gambit? Mm. You know, because these are the questions. You know, when Blackheath is saying about, you know, we want to know the truth about Defence Union. Okay, well, what, what, what's the objective here with this thing? You know, where's it going? Where's the ultimate, you know, where is this thing going? She's already on the record saying, we want to go into Africa in effect, and the Ukraine. Well, okay, what, well, what's next after that? You know, that's not the start of the finish. That's the beginning, surely. You know, these are the questions that people need to ask, and what is the cost of this, and what's it going to do? This is an interventionist policy. This is not, this is not a, we want to help people. This is a you know this is this is an inter this is a continuation of the interventionist policy, 
and, and it can only go one way. It'll be more and more defence budgets, more and more tax, more and more military. Uh, and, of course, what does that do? That suits a tyrant. That suits a tyrant perfectly. They will have command of all of the propaganda machine by that stage. And what will the general public be doing? What options will we left to the general public? Whether we're in or out or shaking it all about. And this is the one thing that Lord Backheath was saying, you know, that all of this has been done regardless of Brexit, separate negotiations to Brexit. It doesn't matter whether we have a deal or not a deal. This is in a separate silo. The defence stuff is all in a separate silo. And it carries on regardless. And this has gone completely unchallenged. And you think to yourself, you know, Boris Johnson would want an, uh, an operational majority. The majority of British people would oppose this. But they just need to know about it. Yes. If they knew about it, they go, no, we're not doing that. Are you crazy? Really? There'd be a real, real big public whiplash. No, we're not doing that. It's, and I'm sure that the, that the reaction would be the same in the United States and in Canada and in Australia and in New Zealand. The majority of people would go, no, we're not doing that. Are you mad? You know, look at the historical president, you know, some appreciation of history and, you know, and what your, your, your parents and grandparents have gone through. We're not doing that. Are you mad? We're not doing that again. And that's the bottom line. And that's the Brexit paradox. Yes, yes. And, and I think we, we had this conversation a couple of years ago. I think it was actually in August. We did a program, an insight program for the UK, Colin, back in August 2016, I believe. And uh, I think it was that far back, actually. And we weren't, uh, we were saying that, you know, whether, you, whether you're anti-war or not, whether you're against the military industrial complex or not, and many people are, certainly that listen to this show did tend to veer onto the anti-war side. But yeah. if, if you don't have control of your own country's defense assets, then you effectively are ceding your sovereignty on a very... You're not a country. Yeah. You're not a country. You know, you don't have command and control of your own uh, defense agenda, your defense force, you know, your, de your military and your industrial complex. You're not a country. You're something else. So this comes back to the whole, you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower epiphany at the end there with the cross of iron. Now, this is the guy that dreamt up all this stateside, you know, to then come full circle there at his cross of iron speech, you know, and that's really where we are now. We're at that point. So you've got to kind of sort of put yourself on a bit of a Dwight D. Eisenhower hat, you know, well, what would he do? What would he do now? You know, hang on a minute. This is a really, this is a really serious problem. This is a serious serious problem and it's coming towards us and and this freight train of bureaucracy that they've uh, cloaked it in here in britain where we've got our entire parliament apart from lord backheath and admiral lord west silent on this issue you know this is a real big problem we just need people to talk about this if they talked about it and there was a, a the, the pressure you know to get the lid off it and, uh, and air it publicly you know the british people would put a stop to this I've no ifs or buts. You know, forget your party allegiances. Whether you think you're this, that, and the other. You know, this transcends all that because this affects your, this affects your, your 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 money in your pocket and your kids. Because when they conscript, and uh, Frau Kramp is already talking about conscription there in, in Germany, uh, sixteen to thirty-five, both sexes, while she's listening to her ACDC. This is this is serious stuff. And, and so just uh, just we just got a couple of minutes left, David, and I, I thank you for for joining us this weekend. But what, what where is the exit door 
for this potentially. Uh, Theresa May did did propose a, uh, an exit deal with with the EU that was voted down uh, in in Parliament. Uh, I think twice. Uh, right. Okay, I can I can get this. This is easy. All right, the whole withdrawal agreement and the future declaration, the entire policy bureaucratic DNA for defence unions woven into in through through the entire documents. If there's any notion of going through with her old deal in any way, shape, or form, it's already written in there. It's written in the contract, both ways. So you know uh, you, whether you're drill punched or drill punched or bored, you're going to get this. And it's not subject. This is the conclusion to all of these separate negotiations through that deal. And they're going to effectively have a new defence union deal by bringing this in uh, through the back door. And it's never been articulated. Vote leave wouldn't run it. It wouldn't run through the whole uh, Brexit thing. Because they knew damn well what the British people would do. They would go, no, we're not doing that. And, you know, and this is the Brexit paradox. So the, the whole the whole problem we're now seeing in Britain is about the whole no deal thing. You know, the whole whiplash through the entire MSM media on no deal is because if you go through with any kind of deal as it stands, unless someone rewrites it, Britain is in defence union. And that affects the whole Five Eyes, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, United States, Five Eyes relationship. And the special nuclear contracts that Macmillan signed with, oh, come on, help me out here, Pat, whichever American president it was at that time when we got the H-bomb, you know, and all that comes into play with the, with the strategic uh, submarines and the strategic submarine industry and the nuclear uh, FISMAP production and the nuclear warheads and all the rest of it, all that comes into play straight away. So this is, this is a major ticket, you know. So if America is... If America is as silent and and Canada and New Zealand and Australia is uneducated on this as what the British people are, then, you know, we're in trouble. We're in real serious trouble with this. Yeah, that that would have been, uh, I think, Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, would have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it's Macmillan Eisenhower. Yeah, that'd be about right. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so... so okay. So there's that, that's a potential exit uh, for Britain. What's interesting, David, on that last point, Stephen Kinnock managed to sneak uh, 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 the Theresa May's deal to be prepared for a third vote. He did it through the back door. I don't know. This managed to sort of sneak its way through Parliament, through some sort of bureaucratic fiat. And it's sitting there waiting, laying in wait in the background. A lot of people don't know that was actually hushed through last week during all the uh, the noise, and that's what it is. It's May's deal. That's Stephen Kinnock, the arch-remainer and Labour MP, son of yeah. uh, Neil Kinnock, the famous former Labour leader. So so that's interesting you said that, David, because that is there. That's a potential factor that's, uh, that's off to the side that could be introduced through all the commotion of uh, right. Boris, no deal, and so forth. But uh, th- thank you very much, uh, David Ellis, strategic defense initiatives and also defense correspondent for the uk column for for joining us this week explaining this uh, this is a big story dave and of course it's it's only going to get more more interesting but it's also going to get more more relevant uh, as oh, this weeks and months yeah big, big time i mean the lid the lid's off this is only going to get really really bigger and bigger and bigger correct all right well thank, thanks pat for having me on and um, you know you have a great day and all your viewers all right thanks dave Thanks. That's David Ellis, ladies and gentlemen, Strategic Defense Initiatives. You can also see him on the UK column 
uh, every week. Um, but you can also read more about this. We've got links on the show page uh, for all the relevant information. If you want more information, we've got some of the best sources for this right now. That's up on our website as we speak. Go ahead and click through. We're going to take a short break uh, with the Alternate Current Radio Network, and I'll be back after this station break. But uh, stay right there. We'll be right back. Why the people don't bother them bother? Why the people don't cry them cry? Why the people don't bother them bother? Why the people don't bother them? You're a child, you're born in the state of mind. Innocent of all the evils of the human kind. You live, you learn, you start to grow. Full of all the teachings that we also come to. Oh, 